the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It doesn't matter what group, what organization, denomination, or religion we adhere to. We are all called to believe the truth. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Today's Core Truth is a message titled Using Bait, Part 2, where Jesus tells the woman she is not condemned to go and sin no more. Yes, this is the day that Jesus did all of these things. That's why they couldn't stand him. And in the same chapter, in chapter 8, as the leaders claimed to be the sons of Abraham, the father of the faith in the Old Testament, Jesus told those religious leaders, you know, Abraham longed to see my day. And he saw it. And they're like, what do you mean? They saw you. You know, and in disbelief, they said, how can that be? Abraham lived thousands of years ago. How could you, how could he have seen you? And Jesus responded to them in John eight fifty eight. He says, truly, truly, verily, verily, listen up here. Before Abraham was ever born, before he came out of his mother's womb, I am, I am. Whoa, what? Yes, Jesus was consistent. He was distinct. He was very direct when he made his identity known. He was the great I am, the creator alive in the flesh. And they clearly understood what Jesus said. As you remember, when God had called Moses to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt, Moses asked God, who do I say sent me? And in Exodus chapter three, verse 14, God spoke to Moses, I am that I am. You tell them that I am has sent you. So when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. It's like they knew exactly what he was talking about. That's why in chapter 8, verse 59, in the very next verse, that's why they all reached down and picked up stones to stone him. But it wasn't his time yet, and he just kind of slipped out. And see, if Jesus wasn't God, then they had every right to stone him. Leviticus 24, 16 says, The one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. Yet Jesus, he was God. He was God in the flesh. He was the promised Messiah. He was the savior of the world. God said in Isaiah 43, I am the only savior. There is no other savior but me. Make no mistake about it. Jesus was way more than just the son of God. He claimed to be God. And that's exactly what the Bible said the Messiah would be. That's why it said in Isaiah chapter 7 that there's going to be a woman. She's going to be a virgin. She's going to pop up pregnant by no man. She's just going to be pregnant. And the baby that comes out of her will be called Emmanuel. God with us in the Hebrew. 
And that's why if you didn't get that, that's why he said in Isaiah chapter 9, there's going to be a child, a son will be born. And his name, what's the name of the child, the son that's going to be born? His name's going to be called Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wow. Crazy names for this child to be born. Crazy names for this son. Now these people are just trying to entrap Jesus by making him say it again. We just want to hear it again. You've spoken it multiple times. We want to hear it again. So they could accuse him of blasphemy. But it's not blasphemy if it's true. Jesus was that baby that was born. He was God with us. He was the everlasting father, the prince of peace. So Jesus lays it on the line in verse 30. I and the Father are one. You want it? There it is. Here, I'll give it to you again. Let me put a little bow on it for you. I and the Father are one. Gee, did the Jehovah's Witnesses read this? Do the Mormons read this? Do the Muslims read this? Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed. It's like, are you reading this? Because the Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus, oh, I'm, he's Michael the archangel. When did Michael the archangel come down and was born out of a woman? When was Michael the archangel you know, taken and led to the cross and nailed to a cross? When did Michael the archangel you know, rise again from the dead? Michael the archangel never did that. But the creator, God himself, who came down to die for his creation, he did. He did. I and the Father are one. The Muslims say that Jesus was a prophet. Oh, he was a wonderful prophet. Jesus never claimed to be a prophet, but he did claim to be the father. Notice how Jesus doesn't try to reason with them this time at this moment here. In verse 26, he tells them straight up, the reason you're not my sheep, let me tell you guys, or the reason that you don't hear my voice is because you have chosen not to believe. You've chosen not to believe. Yes, they denied everything that they saw with their own eyes. What a scary position to be in because of the hardness of their own hearts coupled with the refusal to accept who Jesus claimed to be. Now they're given over to their own unbelief. There's no more debate, no more reasoning, no more taking them back to the Old Testament scripture like Jesus had done so many times before. How sad it is for humanity when we as humans like these religious leaders, reject the truth of God's word. One too many times, because we can reject it one too many times and Jesus stops debating with us. He no longer knocks on the door of our hearts to come in anymore because we have chosen our destiny. We have successfully rejected Jesus Christ as our savior. And now that person will face God as their judge tragically instead of their savior. Know this, it doesn't matter what we think is right or wrong. It doesn't matter what belief system we are most comfortable with, what moral code we seem to gravitate to the most. It doesn't matter what group, what organization, denomination, or religion we adhere to. 
We are all called to believe the truth. We must accept, we must adhere to what Jesus has said. We must conform our way of doing and thinking to the original canon of scripture, which is the Bible. We are all called. So you could be caught up in some cult. Guess what? Even though that cult is teaching you the wrong thing, doesn't matter. You're still responsible for what God has given us in his word. People will come to me quite often and say, pastor, can I get your opinion on something? It's like, well, no, <laughs> who, who cares what my opinion is? And quite frankly, who cares what your opinion is? Because you could go to 10 different pastors here in Los Angeles and get 10 different opinions, unfortunately. What does the word of God say pertaining to your question? See, that's what matters. What does God say about what you're asking? Because that's the bottom line. That's the end of story. And even though the Doobie Brothers saying, you know, well, Jesus is just all right with me, okay? It's more than just being all right. It's what's acceptable to him. For who he claimed to be was who he claimed to be. I and the Father are one. See, he was the son of God while being God. He was, made, he was God. Yes, God is one. Although God has chosen to reveal himself in three different persons. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So yet there are three different distinct personalities. It's still one God. How does that work? I don't have a clue, but know this. These Jews knew exactly what Jesus meant because in verse 31, they picked up stones once again to stone him. Okay, so, but the, the Old Testament, see, this was already laid in foundation in the Old Testament. It's just like in Genesis one twenty six, God says, let us make man in our image. Well, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the angels? Is he talking to the seraphim? I mean, who is he talking to? He's not talking to them because we are not made in the image of angels. We are made in the image of God. So God is talking to the Godhead, to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. This is why he said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, both in the Pentateuch, the Torah, the law of God, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, is God, Elohim, more than one. Elohim is a plural sense of God. But then he goes on and he says, in the very next sentence, the Lord, Yahweh, is one. Well, wait a second, where is he? Is he Elohim or is he one? He's both. So this principle is not some new principle. It's always been there. Yes, eventually, this was the crime that the religious leaders had chosen to have Jesus crucified. It was blasphemy. And he claimed to be God, and he never backed off of this revelation Jesus did. He never backed off it. He stood before Pontius, uh, not Pontius, well, he did stand before Pontius Pilate. Before that, though, he stood before Caiaphas. This is what they had chosen to use to get him to Pontius Pilate to have him crucified. See, if you ask a Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim or you ask, you know, a, a, a Mormon and you say, you know, why did Jesus die? Oh, well, he died. Well, it's not so much the Muslims, but the Jehovah's Witness and, and the Mormons will say, well, he died for our sins. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. No, but why did they, why did they crucify him? Well, he, he had to be crucified to die for his sins. No, 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 no. Why? Did they crucify him? Why did they take a man and nail him to the cross? What was his crime? The crime that they chose was blasphemy. They crucified him because he claimed to be God. That's why he died. That's why he died on the cross. 
Did he die for our sin? Absolutely. But the crime that got him on the cross was he claimed to be God. This is what he said here with Caiaphas. Here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 63, you remember what happened, remember? They finally said, enough of this Jesus. Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, right there on the Kidron Valley, right below, you know, the the Mount of Olives. And they came, and because Judas Iscariot led them there and deceived them, and he, he... was a turncoat traitor to the Lord and pointed out Jesus in the darkness of night. And they grabbed him in the garden of Gethsemane. They beat him. They took him to a a trial that was being held in the middle of the night, which was illegal to do. And they brought all these false witnesses up and the false witnesses were getting their stories all mixed up because there was all lies anyone. They were trying to convict Jesus of something. Then finally, in Matthew 26, 63, the high priest Caiaphas, he says to Jesus, he goes, I adjure you by the living God. Well, that sounds impressive. The living God standing in front of you anyway, that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. You say it right now. Tell us right now. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I will tell you hereafter, you shall see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tears his robe and he said, he has blasphemed. What further need have we of these witnesses? Well, the witnesses were all paid by you and they got the stories mixed up. Get them out of here. Behold, you have heard now the blasphemy. What do you think? And the people answered, he is deserving of death. Wow. So that's what they used to convict him. Yes, it's kind of comical, you know, what they've tried to do. You're trying to outwit God himself. See, they wanted Jesus gone. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to somehow try to justify their position. So they baited him again, hoping that Jesus would just say it again, say it publicly again, just one more time. Yet Jesus spoke the truth for he was the truth. And they picked up stones to stone him. Notice in verse 32, Jesus calmly asked, I have done many good works in front of you. Which one of those good works are you stoning me for? And they said in verse 33, we are stoning you because you make yourself out to be God. Which brings up our point, hearing the truth. Now, once again, Jesus takes him to school in verse 34. He says, Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law? You know, he takes them back now just to show them how foolish they are, you know, because he claimed to be the son of God here. He says, I said, you are gods. So he's quoting them, Psalm 82, verse six. He said, God called them God. So here in Psalm, which is kind of a crazy verse, but if you go back and read it, God called the sons of man. He called them God. Okay, little gods. So whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. So here, back there, God calls them little sons of God. Okay, so he says to them, he says, if the father, how can you say of me, if the father says he sanctified me into the world, you are blasphemy because I said I am the son of God. So how can you say this is blasphemy when even God called men sons of God? So he's just kind of throwing that in their face for a second because they're running around in circles, chasing their tail. He says in verse 37, if I do not do the works of my father, then don't believe me. But verse 38, if I do them, 
Though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. Oh, he just, he outwitted them everywhere. I'm like 10 steps in front of you before you even get there. You're already thinking something. I'm already done with that. See, again, this is just humorous. As Jesus refers them back as he quoted Psalm 82, 6, where again, God calls men sons of God. What he's saying again is, you can't stone me because I called myself the son of God. God called other sons of God. But he wants them to know what a huge mistake that they're making here. As Jesus points out in verse 36, I'm not some fly-by-night prophet claiming to be the son of God. I have been sanctified. I've been set apart by the Father. I am the Christ. I am the promised Messiah. And my miracles prove it. Now Jesus once again extends his grace to these hardened of heart leaders. He points them to the obvious found in verse 38. If you can't get past looking at me, because they couldn't get past that, Jesus wasn't pretty. The Bible says there was nothing about him that you'd be attracted to him. Meaning, I'm not saying he was ugly. I'm just saying he's not on the cover of GQ magazine. He's not like these pictures you see. There's Jesus. Which one? The one on the picture there with the blue eyes and the blonde streaks in his hair, you know? It's like, uh, no. Every movie that you see with Jesus, it's like, well, which one's Jesus? Oh, well, he's the, the beautiful one there. He's the good looking one. No, that's not what it was. He was born from a girl that was probably very average looking. And he was born on the wrong side of the tracks. He was poor. He came from nothing. And people were like, Why? Why wasn't he beautiful? Why wasn't he good looking? Why wouldn't we be attracted to him? Because he never wanted to be about how it looked. He wanted to be about the message. Are you listening to the message? That's what he wanted it to be about. And plus, he wanted everyone that's been on the down and out, everyone that's walked on the path of pain. He, when you sit there and you think to yourself, you know, God, you just don't know what it's like here. You don't understand me. You don't know how hard it is for me. You don't get it, Lord. Oh, I don't get it. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks purposely. I could have been born to the emperor. I could have been born in a palace, but I chose to leave everything and to be born in the poorest of poor situations. I know what it's like to go hungry. I know what it's like to be hurt. I know what it's like to come from my own people, my own people, the Jewish people, the apple of my eye, the ones that I set apart for the world. And what did they do? They turned on me. What did they do? They ripped my beard out. They nailed me to a cross. They killed me. I know what it's like to be rejected. I know everything. So we can never say, oh God, you don't know what it's like. Oh, he knows exactly what it's like. He knows everything. I've been sanctified by the Father. They couldn't get past how Jesus looked. Then he says, okay, I get that. Then forget what I look like. Forget where I was born. Forget what my mother looks like. Look at the works. How do you explain a man that was born from birth blind? You drop money in his can. He was a beggar. He had been born blind and he was like 40 plus years old. You have seen him for decades. How do you explain that he now sees? How do you explain a lame man, the guy that was by the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5 that was sick and he was paralyzed for 38 years? How do you explain that he's up and walking now? What about all the people I've healed of leprosy? 
No Jew had ever been healed of leprosy and gone to the priest to be cleared except for Miriam, Moses' sister. Now, Naaman was healed of leprosy, but he wasn't a Jew. There's never been a Jew outside of Miriam, Moses' sister, that was healed of leprosy until now. And now you've cleared people that had leprosy that now their skin is like a baby's skin. How do you explain that? How do you explain all the miracles that are happening now? The demon possessed that are delivered and on and on it goes. These leaders, they didn't want to get it. We should both be amazed by this and very troubled by this. How can a person's unbelieving heart, how it can truly blind them to the obvious? That's why it's so critical that we as true Christians live out our faith on a daily basis in practical ways where people can see it. No weirdness, no wackiness, No acting strange in any way, but just living out our faith. Always proclaiming God's love for the lost. How he promises us freedom from sin. How he promises forgiveness of things that we have failed to. A hope for a future and a peace in this life. We should always be ready to share that. I was right up the street here yesterday. I had to go return something and ended up buying something else and and so uh, I'm at the checkout, you know, counter, they, you know, do the whole deal and it's all done. I said, uh, we're not done yet. And I said, so uh, when's the last time someone told you there's a God in heaven loves you? And then I just, you know, like, here comes the car. I go, I want to invite you to our church because I was right up the street here in La Cienega. And they go, I drive by your church all the time. In fact, you have invited me to come before. I said, yes, I have. <laughs> and then she said, I think you've actually invited me twice before. I said, yes, I have. She goes, I have your card at home on my dresser. I said, yeah, but that card never worked because you never came. And she said, that's true. She goes, but I'm just done with religion. I just, I'm just done with it. I grew up Catholic and I just, I'm just done with it. I said, you know what? I'm done with religion too. And so is Jesus. What is this whole chapter about? He's done with these religious leaders, okay? He's done with them. I said, it's not about religion. It's not about a stained glass window. It's not about statues and all of this stuff and all this pomp and and beauty. Me and my wife, like I said earlier, we were up in San Jose this week. We walked into this cathedral downtown and it was just beautiful. It was like, wow, man, look at this. It's just awesome. Big old pipe organ and all this, you know, stuff. It was just beautiful. And it's like, it was beautifully dead. It was dead. Have you ever been in a church service before? Just dead? You're just sitting there. All you're thinking is, when are we going to get out of here? You might be thinking that now, but it'll be soon. <laughs> but anyway, but yes, it's like God wants us to be lights that shine. But these religious leaders made up their minds. They would not hear the truth. No, 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 no. They're not going to hear it. But rather, they rejected Jesus. And he eluded their grasp as they tried to stone him again. As he and the disciples, they went back to where John the Baptist was baptizing. So they went out, they went east of Jerusalem, out by north of the Dead Sea, where the Jordan River flows down to flow into the Dead Sea. Look what it says in verse 41. And many people came to him and they were saying, while John, John the Baptist performed no signs, yet everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Wow. Notice it says that John the Baptist never performed a sign. 
There were no glowing reports of outrageous miracles of John the Baptist. Nobody was healed. Lightning never came out of the sky, nor did John the Baptist ever walk on water. John's mission was basic. He was called to tell people that one was coming after him. One was coming after me. He's going to be the one you want to follow. Listen to John the Baptist's own words when they asked, he was asked who he was. This is what happened in John chapter one, verse 20. He says, I'm not the Christ, John the Baptist said. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He says, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, who are you? So that we may give answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He's coming. Oh, he's coming. The Messiah is coming. John the Baptist found great satisfaction in who God had called him to be. There were no lights, no fanfare around him. He lived in the desert. He didn't have a house. He just lived in the desert. His outfit was made of camel's hair. He lived on a diet of wild honey and locusts. And what was his message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We get to live in houses. We get to have cars. We get to dress how we want to dress and go eat where we want to eat. But we can still have the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's all the time we have for our message. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word, that's Core Church LA, to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.